Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with us today, we have Andrew Frankel. Hello. Hi, Sam. How are you? (laughs) Very good. Very good. Um, For those that have sort of not come across you for some reason, in in a sort of sentence, can you say sort of who you are, what you do? Uh, Yeah, I am. People increasingly refer to me me as a veteran motoring journalist. I'll take take some exception to, but I have been doing it for over 30 years. Uh, Yeah, I'm just, uh, I I write about cars. I've been doing it um, all my professional life. Um, Started an auto car, edited Motorsport magazine, went freelance 21 years ago. um, And I now have a little venture called the Intercooler, which I expect we'll get on to talking about at at some stage. Um, So yeah, that's me. I I drive cars and I write about them. Very straightforward. Can't do anything else. (laughs) Yes, for those that for those that haven't come across Andrew, um, few and far between, we we did a podcast a while ago. It was sort of a year ago today, and we talked a lot about Andrew's sort of past and journey to date up until that point. Um, so if you're interested in that, go and listen to the previous podcast. But we will sort of start off from where we left off. And at the time we last spoke, you were doing this thing. I think at the time it was called Drive Nation. Yeah, um, probably. It, I don't think it had changed the name yet. No. with another guest of our podcast, Dan. And yeah. um, it's it's sort of evolved a little bit since then. Yeah, it's evolved it's, a huge uh, amount. Well, you've, re- you've released an app. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, so, so, so the sort of backstory, which I'll keep very brief, is uh, three and a bit years ago, Dan and I started an Instagram site called Drive Nation, um, which we wanted to do sort of car journalism on Instagram, uh, which we didn't think there was very much of it. And we just started doing uh, news and reviews and features and that sort of stuff. And the idea was because it's very difficult to earn money on Instagram, but we thought we could build a following which might attract some investment, which then might allow us to go off and um, do something which we could actually earn a living from. 
And so Drive Nation bumbled along. Uh, we picked up, um, you know, a decent number. I mean, I think we got sort of, you know, 40 odd thousand followers um, following what we did, which was great. Um, a mm. chat came along, um, real car guy, but with an amazing um, business CV um, and said he liked what we did and just wanted to talk about, you know, ways of, uh, of backing us. Um, and so we had this idea of doing an app, Um just doing so the idea behind what we did was that we would try to provide the finest quality car journalism by the finest car journalists that there are and indeed others designers and engineers um of a kind of quality that you'd hope to get in a quarterly magazine but instead of making people wait you know three months for it to turn up we'd do it every day so every single day there would be a new story by one of these characters Mm. on this app um and we thought that in this world where people always want everything yesterday, um, that might appeal. Um, so the first thing that uh, our investor pointed out was that uh, the Drive Nation name wasn't um, trademarked. Uh, and we discovered that we couldn't trademark it because somebody else had already done it. Um, or they hadn't done it. No, they, but they'd been using it before us. So if it ever came to a dispute, they would have sort of first dibs on that. And so we'd have so um, we had to come up with another name. Um, and yeah. that's where the intercooler got born. Um, and so we changed the name of the Instagram site to the Intercooler. Um, the app launched in, where are we now? So the app will launched in April as the Intercooler. Um, and yeah, so we're six months in. Um, we've had the most extraordinary response to it. Um, you know, I sometimes, if, if I feel in need of a bit of flattery, I'll sort of go onto either the Google or the Apple App Store and read what people are writing about the app. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, well, it's, 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 it's incre- I mean, more than anything else, it's incredibly... Uh, reassuring that we appear to have that the idea appears to have um, found some resonance in people. People absolutely love it, um, and you don't need my word for it. Just go and see what people are saying about it. And I can say that because actually I only do a bit of the writing for it. Whereas on Instagram, it was Dan and I doing all of it because no one was paying us, and so we couldn't afford to pay anyone to write for us. Because of the because the Intercooler app is something. It's a subscription app which you pay either five pounds a month for or fifty pounds a year for. Um, we have a bit of money coming in, so we we then thought, okay, so what we want is we want a dream team. We want to go and get the best people that we can possibly find, who are kind enough or stupid enough or whatever enough to want to work for us um, and get them to produce all this amazing content. So, you know, for the world of motoring journalism, we've got guys like Colin Goodwin and Henry Catchpole and Andrew English, um, who in their own fields are as good as they get. Um, I've gone back and, you know, hired a couple of my old mates who are, you know, who were world famous names from, you know, way back guys like Mel Nichols, who, you know, who's basically the father of modern motoring journalism, what he did at Car Magazine in the 19... 19- yeah, 70s and 1980s, you know, I think an awful lot of us. Um, that's half the reason that we do what we do. Um, Peter Robinson, um, who was the European editor of Autocar for, for many years, formerly editor of Wheels in Australia, and I think probably the greatest motoring journalist, um, you know, I've ever come across. He's doing stuff for us. Um, we've got Ben Oliver, who's probably the greatest features writer I know, doing stuff for us. Uh, and then we've got, you know, um, you know, engineers, um, David Tuig, you know, the father of the Alpine A110. Um, he writes some fantastic stuff for us um, about that. Uh, we have a girl called Joe Fidalgo, who is, um, she was a powertrain uh, engineer at JLR. She's now moved into the chassis world and has some amazing insights into that uh, and julian thompson you know the bloke who designed the latest elise 
um, and former design director for JLR. Um, we, we always wanted a designer and I always wanted Julian because I know that unlike many designers, um, he doesn't have an enormous ego. So I said, what do you think? And he went, well, it's a great idea, but I can't write. Uh, I've never written anything <laughs> in my life. I just design cars. I draw, I don't write. Um, so I said to him, well, you know, that's okay because, you know, we can, you know, we, we were journalists. We're very used to, you know, dealing with raw copy and, you know, we can hopefully, you know, turn it into whatever. I said, just, just, just write something. All right, I'll try. Didn't hear anything for a few weeks and then something turned up and it was just beautiful. And he went, oh, well, you know, tell me where all the way got go wrong and I'll try and put it right. I said, don't change anything. And he's just one of these really annoying guys who can just do it. He can just do it. And I think it's because, A, he's super intelligent and he's a massive car guy but also i think he's just spent his entire career reading motoring journalism and you know and the best writers and i think if you do that for long enough and you have a certain mm. sort of brain um i think the sort of the voice that you want to hear comes into you and then he's just able to get it back out of him again and he ju he just he writes about car design which is not really an area i i've particularly ever understood because i'm much more about how cars drive than what they look like um, but he writes about them in such an accessible yeah. way. Um, so anyway, so uh, long story short, we have all these amazing people all writing for the Intercooler app. Um, and I can't quite believe it really. So, um, yeah, six months in it's, it's gone brilliantly well. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we have a lot of work still to do. Um, there's all sorts of things with the, that, that we want to do. Um, you know, we need to have a proper website. Um, we need to do sort of, you know, merchandising and, um, and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, we have some great partnerships with some really, really good, uh, organizations like Motorsport UK and the British Automobile Racing Club and Gold Track and, um, Footman James. And we've got a few more that are coming on soon. So it's, you know, it's, it's all very exciting and it's all very busy. And I'm still sort of slightly bewildered by everything because, you know, if I think about what I do, I drive cars and I write about them. And this is, and this is all sort of, you know, business and, uh, you know, we're having to think about things like digital marketing, which, which probably, you know, guys like you probably know inside out. And to, but to me, it's like going back to school because I don't understand any of this stuff. I hope it doesn't show too much. I mean, luckily we do have people who do understand yeah. it. And so it's kind of okay. Um, but, you know, yesterday I spent all day in a meeting with Dan and, and, and our investor just talking about the future and, and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And it all just seems terribly serious. And it's all, you know, and, and when people start talking about money and the numbers are all sort of, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, there's a little bit of me which is just, just sitting there thinking, can't I just go and drive something? Um, but at the same time, you know, to, to have the opportunity to create something from scratch and to actually build something. Because, I mean, I spent my life as an almost all motoring journalist working for other people, be they as a member of staff or as a freelance contributors. Um, and yeah. to actually have something which was your idea. And no one can tell you how to do it because it's your show and you can just make it the way you want to um, make it is, I mean, it's just such a privilege and I, I, I absolutely love it. So um, hopefully if enough people subscribe, we'll get to keep on doing it for a while. <laughs> Has that been, because for you, like you said, going from writing for other people yeah. all the time to then having your own thing that you're responsible for and you're not writing all the content. Yeah. Has that been a, yeah, quite a learning and an interesting process what are sort of things that you didn't expect that have come up well i didn't or... expect i didn't expect that, en that, that, that engineers and designers would just be able to go and write it's made me feel thoroughly redundant as a journalist um nobody does this <laughs> nobody gets these guys to write stuff for them um, and i think it's because we're all so arrogant we think we're, we think we're the only ones who can do it because we're journalists and that's what we do so you're a designer well you design cars you're an mm. engineer you engineer cars um but actually we're all just you know, car enthusiasts 
they are almost by definition, if you rise to the top of those particular trees, highly intelligent people um, who love cars. Um, and so we probably shouldn't be that surprised that they can express their thoughts um, in a way that communicates well. So that's been a particular joy. Being able to assemble this uh, family of journalists, uh, and I genuinely don't think that you could look at any publication anywhere in the world. I don't think anybody's got a better lineup of motoring journalists than us. Um, and I feel, and this will sound sort of slightly humble brag, but it really isn't. I feel genuinely amazed that these guys will want to come and work for us. Um, you know, it's not like we've got huge amounts of money to pay them. Um, but I think what they do is they identify that, you know, I, th I think they all like working with each other. And I think they all like having their words associated with other people, with the words of the other contributors, because they're all so good. And so, you know, together, um, mm. we're almost greater than the sum of our parts. Um, but even so, it, 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 it is a slightly humbling thing to think of all those amazing people, um, particularly, you know, the older guys like, you know, Peter Robinson and Mel Nichols. I mean, Mel Nichols. Um, you know, effectively taught me how to write an autocar <laughs> in the 1980s. Um, and the fact that it's now me sort of commissioning him, um, it feels rather weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I feel I, I feel lucky to to have done it. Um, you know, I, I I have to work very hard at the moment because, you know, I haven't given up any of the other things that I do. So I still, you know, write for autocar lots. I still write for motorsport lots. I still have my column in Goodwood and I still do you know, other bits here, there and everywhere. Um so, you know, I've learned the meaning of hard work. Um, I, I, I thought I worked quite hard before um, the intercooler turned up. Um, it turns out I didn't. Um, so that's uh, another interesting learning experience. Um, and on top of all of that, obviously, you know, we've not been living in the most normal of times, have we? No. Um, I mean, it has helped uh, to an extent because, you know, because we've not been traveling quite so much, it has given me more time on the ground to do all the sort of stuff that we need to do. Um, but then, you know, there have been fewer stories to go out and do. So it's, you know, it swings and roundabouts, but you know, so far so good. Yeah. I, I yeah. particularly love the sort of design and engineering, like David stuff. We sort of talk on Twitter every now and then, um, because I, I, yeah, I'm heavily involved in this sort of industry and space and I'm consuming media by the bucket load. Yeah. Um, but you, like you said, you do not see stuff yeah. from engineers and designers like putting out sort of thoughtful behind the scenes information. And yeah, I find it incredibly, like so much more interesting than what's the new 812 blah, 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 blah. Like, like you know, it's going to be similar to the other one yeah. but it's just such a different shift to all of the media you're consuming um yeah and I, I particularly really enjoy that david is yeah he, he he's just a gifted communicator i mean i do urge you know you can go and download the app for free we won't charge you after until, until you've been looking at it for a month um just go read his stuff he's his ability to communicate um you know, we always say that, you know, being a motoring journalist, it's, it's quite a strange skill set because you have to be able to drive um, and you have to be able to write. But that's not actually enough because you have to be able to link those two. You have to be able to, if you're reviewing a car, understand what the car is doing, what's good about it, what's bad about it, and then be able to communicate. So basically there are there are three strands to it. Um, and I think that's what made us, you know, those of us who are able to do that think that we're sort of fairly safe in our space is that because that's a very strange combination of skills to have that there probably aren't many, many other people who, who do that and then someone like david comes along and just you know totally i mean makes us look 
Well, I mean, he's absolutely as good as us. Um, and I, I, but he also, in addition to that, you know, whereas we always, you know, report on other people's work and criticize other people's work, you know, he's got that track record. Um, you know, he's a bloke who actually, you know, got out there and, and, and did it and actually, you know, engineered cars and, you know, made, you know, cars to be as good as they can possibly be in their respective fields. And, um, yeah, it's it's just amazing that they can also do this other stuff as well. So you know, and 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 also they're they're also they're also just a delightful bunch of people. Um, I mean, one of the reasons for doing it is you know I spent a quite a long part of my life working for you know one or two editors who I didn't particularly get along with terribly well, but maybe they um, were part of publications mm. which I felt I needed to be part of, and so I put up with a lot of stuff. Uh, and I've now got to an age and a stage in my career where I just don't want to do that anymore. Uh, and number one, actually, the number one rule of, you know, if you want to come work for the intercooler, don't be an arse. Um, you know, you've just got to be a decent person. You've got to have fun. And we have we have a ridiculous WhatsApp group between us where we just spend our time taking the piss out of each other. And it's just it's just it's actually it's just a lovely family of um, of like minded individuals. And the fact that, you know, some of them happen to be you know superstars in you know the field of engineering mm-hmm. or design. Um, is really neither here nor there. Um, and we all just get on and have a great time together and have lots of fun. And at the end of it, there's a product um, which we're all proud of. So, you know, that's that's just brilliant. It's it, it's kind of like, you know, wins all round. Um, so yeah. we feel very blessed to be able to do it. And it, it, it comes across, like it seems like from the outside of uh, I've met a couple of the people that write for it and, yeah. and they're all nice, fun people. And, and having an atmosphere like that and you don't have, you know, that one person that no no one gets one with. No. Or if you did, then you're like, yeah, okay, thank you very much, but maybe we won't continue. And then you don't have any of those people just sort of bringing the the whole overall thing down. When um when you fired up the app for the first time, yeah, or not as in opened it for the first time, but said, hey, go and download. Um, what was the conversion rate like? from your Instagram account? Because I know that's always a question, like, well, how many people are going to download well, it? I, I mean, have you, no you, idea. Know, the Instagram thing, it's, it's um, the business side of it is, I'm still trying to get my head around it, but it, but it's quite interesting because obviously we, you know, we had this captive audience on Instagram. Uh, there are about 50,000 of them now. And we'd love all of them to go and subscribe to the app, but the world, but, but the world isn't like that. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you provide people with free stuff, um, then, you know, they, they, they will tend to, you know, not choose to pay for, you know, for, for other stuff that you're also providing. Um, and we thought we'd get, um, you know, we, we thought we'd be very lucky to get 5% of them yeah. subscribe. Well, a bit more than that has happened. Nice. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I, I often say, you know, it, as a joke that if we wanted to get as many of our, uh, Instagram pe- people to subscribe as possible, what we do is shut Instagram. <laughs> we just shut the yeah. Instagram account because if we did that, everybody on that who did enjoy what we wanted um, would have to go and subscribe because that was the only that would be the only way that they could go and do yeah. it. Um, and given that um, we don't earn money directly from Instagram, you know, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't been tempted um, because it's a you know it's a it's a monster. It takes a huge amount of. Work. The difference is. Those fifty thousand people um, are the people that people we partner up with want to be in front of. Okay, um, and so we have you know an increasing number of associations with some I listed them earlier, some like-minded brands. Yeah, um, and 
they are very interested in the, Instagram, in the Instagram following. So we want to maintain that. So we have to keep on feeding it. And the problem with that is if you continue to feed it, you continue to give people not re- reasons not to subscribe to the app. So there's a balance. So, you know, if you like, Instagram is there, um, A, we really enjoy doing it, but B, because it's what the partners want. Um, but we at the same time want as many of them to come and subscribe to us uh, as well. Um, but we sort of disincentivize them for doing that by still keeping up decent content on the Instagram side. So... You know, we're still getting our head around that one, but um, you know, we, we only have two revenue streams. One is from partnerships, one is from subscribers, yeah. um, because we don't have any advertising, and that was the thing from the absolute start. You know, we were we were not going to do, you know, banners or display or pop-ups or clickbait or any of that sort of stuff mm. um we were going to do partnerships with like-minded individuals um and we were going to have subscribers and that's it so you know if you like in a very very basic terms instagrams for the partners and, and the subscribers sort of come from the app and um and that's how we um that's how we pay the rent that's interesting um i yeah i can totally see that balance being really tricky because yeah like as, as a, a random person myself yeah and looking at what you've guys done, I've gone, oh, well, the Instagram account gives me quite a lot. Mm. And then you look at the app and you, you get more and whatnot. And you can see how some people might go, okay. And then I, if, I guess for you guys, it is that difficulty of you want, one, you want the audience on Instagram to grow and reach more people, which is helping yeah. promote. Yeah. And then also for your sponsors and whatnot. Yeah. But it's finding the amount of content that still does that whilst not doing too much and you know creating so much yeah. hassle for you guys that yeah. it's a pain in the ass and you know and you and you also have to accept that people have very busy lives um and you know and, and sometimes instagram that, that little sort of bite-sized chunk is it's not only all they want it's it's frankly maybe all they have time for and maybe they don't have time um to sit down and read you know a 1500 word story um on an app um and and we don't want to you know these guys you know most of them been with us from the start and we don't want to you know i joke about shutting it down but we actually don't want to you know lose those people um because you know we appreciate um the following that we have we enjoy um providing stuff that um that they enjoy reading and um you know why wouldn't you keep on doing it so Hmm. You know, the good, the good news is we're only six months in. Um, it's gone very well so far. But, you know, the other thing I would say is that if you look at the app and the sort of writing that is on the app um, and you just think of Instagram generally and the sort of person who spends most of their time on Instagram, um, your typical Instagram user and your typical app user are not the same person. Um, you know, we think that people um, who are interested in subscribing to the app will probably largely not be on Instagram. And yet we've still got a big following from Instagram to subscribe. So what we hope is that outside the world of Instagram, which is basically all we focused on so far, um, there is an even bigger following um, waiting to be found. And that's the big challenge of the next six months is to go out and go out and find them. Go, go out and find actually the people who you would more naturally would expect to be drawn towards the sort of product that we have um with the app and you know and they may be people who aren't even on social media um they may be people who have stopped consuming any form of motoring journalism because they find it you know all rather facile um and it's a big challenge um we absolutely believe they're there we know from all the reviews and the ratings and everything else that we get that the product is is right so we're not going to change that very much you know we're going to keep that family together we may add one or two people um 
but we're going to continue to do that. Um, but, you know, we need one of the problems with an app is it lives in a bubble. Um, you can't really it's not like, you know, you can like or retweet stuff or, you know, yeah. or, or it can't really proliferate beyond what it is uh, very easily. So, yeah. you know, um, if we had a website, which we don't at the moment, um, that would help with that. So that's something that we're looking at. There are all sorts of things that's, um, that we're looking at doing. Um, and, you know, and we're very lucky that we're in a position to be able to do it. So. You know, in our own time, because we're still very, very young, it's only been six months, um, we will roll this stuff out um, and see what happens. Yeah. I think as a consumer, I would love there to be a website. Yeah. I would way rather personally read it on a website than on an app. It's interesting, isn't Um, it? Just screen sizes, everything. I'm, you know, yeah, like you said, it's early days and it's a case of working with all these things. I think absolutely your audience is on Instagram. I think you there will be people that are not on Instagram and there's probably a big audience there but I think a lot of there's definitely uh, I'm endlessly surprised by the people that are on Instagram yeah and I think often with maybe you know social media influencers people go oh they're only followed by whatever and mm. then they just say like 14 year olds or something sure. and then you look at the people commenting on posts and you're like, oh, actually, there's three McLaren F1 owners in that comments. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Like everyone's at, like most people. Yeah. Definitely, I would say, I don't know, fifties and below dabble with it. I mean, they're, 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 they're clear. They're clearly in both places, and 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 the difference for us is we have certainly, as far as our current following is concerned um you know we we've made it perfectly clear to them that we have the app and i think that the majority of people who were going to subscribe to us from the instagram site probably already have and but obviously beyond instagram yeah. there is this other world which we haven't focused upon so um so we need to go out and find them. i mean it was quite interesting we did our first ever track day um a few weeks ago at thruxton um and we did it with a lot of people that, that we looked awesome with. Oh, it was absolutely unbelievable. I'll probably bore you about it in a minute. But we did it with Bark, um, who are one of our partners who runs Thruxton. We did it with Gold Track, Track Day Company, um, the best Track Day Company, obviously. I know I would say that they really are. Um, and we did it with Footman James. And so because there were the, all these different organisations involved, not all the people who came came because of the interview. Some were invited by a gold track, some came because they were guests of Footman James and, and so on and so forth. So, And I was surprised by the number of people at our own track day who hadn't heard of us. You know, there were people, you know, I was introduced myself, Andrew Frankel, the Intercoolable, what's that? <laughs> um, and, yeah, and these are guys, you know, they these are like sort of fairly hardcore track That's day That's kind of good. Uh, it is good, but, you know, but they're clearly, you know, we hadn't, despite everything that we've tried, we hadn't reached them. Um, and then you show it to them and they go, oh, that's interesting. And they download it and then yes. hopefully they go and subscribe. But, um, you know, I was surprised that even at something as, you know, familiar as your own track day, which you think you're hosting, there are still people there who haven't heard of you. So that suggests to me is that there is a big <laughs> audience out there that, you know, we need to go and find. Um, and that's the, you know, that is the, as I said, that's the job of the next six months. Yes. Um, yeah. So we'll see. It's really interesting with those sorts of things because you sort of assume by, I, I, I sort of assumed that making podcasts, whatever, getting interesting guests, doing things, that sort of stuff, that you will, and you will slowly reach the people. But it can take such a long time 
to yeah. reach those people. And like you said, yeah. there will be so many people that will love your content, your app, your whatever, that will never come across it unless their mate goes, hey, have you come across this? Or like yeah. they're in some place and they see a little slogan or they see you've got a track day. And it's, yeah, yeah it's like reaching those people is yeah. hard. But the uh, your track day looked awesome. Oh, the track day was fantastic. Yeah. So um, we wanted to do from the start, we didn't want to just do another track day um, because why would that? I mean, we've always tried to do different stuff. So when we started Drive Nation, we were the first people doing motoring journalism on Instagram. And when we started the Intercooler app, you know, we were the first people who had a dedicated uh, motoring journalism app and we still are. Um, and so we just like, we, we just want to do stuff that people haven't done before. So we had this idea of doing a track day with um, a bit extra. So we managed to get Thruxton on one of its four unlimited noise um, days of the year. So you could run anything. You know, mm. you could have run Formula One cars. Um, and they'd never run one of those. They'd always had those as test days. They'd never, they'd never done an, an unsilenced track day before. Uh, in the history of Thruxton. Um, wow. And that meant we could uh, ring a few friends and have a few cars down. Um, and so, you know, that's how I found myself driving a Group C Jaguar around Thruxton a few weeks ago. Um, because uh, Henry Pierman, who, you know, who, who, who is a friend of mine and a friend of ours, um, brought some amazing scuffs. He, he brought down a Mercedes CLK GTR. He brought a 962 Porsche and he brought a Group C Jag. Um, and so, and then suddenly, you know, you have the people there who are just there to drive their cars around the track. And they just see this extraordinary stuff going around. We, um, you know, another one of our, you know, most valuable contributors is Karen Chandock. Um, mm. And Karen's a dude, um, but he's a complete petrol head and he's also a total professional. Um, and so, you know, we said, you know, fancy coming down. And yeah, it was literally the day before he had to go off to the Dutch Grand Prix, but he went, oh yeah, fair enough, I'll come down. And so Karen spent, we, uh, Porsche provided him with a 911 Turbo S in which he, and he just spent all day, you know, shredding its tires. Um, and people really appreciated that. We got quite lucky because Sky were filming something down there in our lunch hour. And so we had Martin Brundle and Damon Hill and a couple of Sharknose Ferraris down there too. <laughs> nice. Um, I'd like to say that we planned that, but we didn't, <laughs> but they were around too. So that went down quite well. Um, but the, but the, you know, the absolute best thing about it. Um, and we have to find a way of making this happen again is, you know, you've done, you know, bazillions of track days and you always get a few asses there. You'll always get one or two people who get a bit punchy out on the circuit. They don't like being overtaken. Uh, they take it all too seriously. They push too hard. And then the problem is the moment someone goes off, everything has to shut yeah. you know, and everybody's um, fun is spoiled. Um, we didn't have, I think we might have had one car spin. We didn't have a red flag all day. There wasn't a minute when um, they had to stop the action. And I'm, I'm, if I've been to a track day where that's happened, I can't remember how long ago it was. Um, it was the atmosphere. Everybody was just so happy to be there. Everybody got on. So, I mean, we fear because it's Thruxton, which is, you know, fast, very easy to fall off. And because people probably haven't been doing many track days, that there'd be there's you know, quite a lot of pent-up testosterone and people want to go out there. <laughs> yeah. And there just wasn't any. People were just... Um, so happy to see each other. Um, so happy to just talk about cars. Um, the driving, the driving standards on the circuit were as good as I've seen on a track day. Um, and that combined with everything else that went on, um, um, just created this fantastic day. So we're going to do it again. 
Um, we made it at Thruster. We made it somewhere else. Um, but it will be a noisy day. We will have racing cars there and we will do our absolute utmost to make sure that everybody who comes comes for the right reason, which is just to have fun and, you know, not be a pain in the ass. I would love to know when that is before. We'll let you, we'll <laughs> let you know. We'll let you know. Um, we'll let um, me know. Okay. Yeah, um, we, we're going to try and do it early next year. Um, and, awesome. uh, you know, Gold Track, who are our track day partner, they're, 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 they are already on the case, you know, scoping out what's possible and, uh, and where. So, um, yeah, I shall really look forward to that. It's, it's so cool seeing, and I, I've seen it a little bit, but seeing cars like CLK GTR, stuff like that driving around, I know you can't promise that's going to happen on every track day, but like, I've been exposed to those sorts of things quite a bit. But even then, yeah. like this, just just yeah. Awesome. But the novelty never wears off, does it? No. And if you're no. on track, and something like that goes past you, <laughs> that like makes your year. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was a bit worried about sort of going out in the Jag um, with a bunch of road cars. Um, but in fact, you know, particularly at Thruxton, and also the other thing that we did, we made it quite expensive. A because we needed to, but also because. Um, we thought it'd be better to have a smaller, for our first track day, to have a smaller number of people there. Yeah. So it wasn't always, you know, it wasn't always like there 30 cars on track. Um, and because trucks are such a big place, it's such a wide circuit around the bay, um, you know, and you can get in a group CJ and you can really, you know, properly exercise the car um, without being a menace to other people. Mm. Um, whereas if you've gone to other circuits and have been really, really busy, you just couldn't have deployed a car like that because it wouldn't have been safe to do it. But again, because everybody knew what we were doing and because everybody was being sensible, it was, it was easy. Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. It's, you've got, you really need the other drivers to be vaguely paying attention when you're in <laughs> something that's significantly faster. But then I, I think as we've talked about before about driving down a road, like you can tell whether the car in front has an idea on track. You can do yeah. the same thing. Like you, you know straight away whether they've yeah. seen you, not seen yeah. you, whether they're just yeah. going to chop you. Yeah. But then um, with Gold Track, what are the track day rules? Is it passing only on the left with consent? Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly it. That's it because uh, RMA um, is passing either side. Um, I I don't know if you have a view on which is which is the right way. I'm not sure it really matters as long as everybody knows and everybody. Um, goes along with it. Um, yeah, I mean, Gold Track, I mean, I think I think RMA is, you know, quite hardcore and you tend yeah. to get a lot of, um, you know, very fast drivers in very fast cars. And I think if you've got one of those, that's absolutely fine. But you wouldn't turn up, I don't think, to an RMA day in a, you know, 1500 quid MX-5 you just bought. Um, no. Whereas you could, whereas you could at a Gold Track day um, because although they do have the quick stuff, I think it is, I think... You know, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. Um, you know, even though Gold Track are partners with me, and, and and we couldn't hope for a better track day partner. I think they're just catering for slightly different sorts of punters. Um, and I think the Gold Track is definitely more accessible. And certainly, if you're ever going to go yep. do your first track day, I'd be pointing in the direction of the Gold Track um, before RMA. That said, you know, if you've got I don't know a Manti GT2 RS um, and you really want to go and um, ring its nuts, then you know. Um, other options are available. Yeah, definitely. I think my one of my first track days was an RMA day. Yeah. And I they don't happen anymore, but they used to be quite sort of legendary for not for the great <laughs> best reasons introductions, right. uh, the speeches at the beginning of an RMA day uh, by an individual and um he was quite like harsh. It's about anyone yeah. that was like new, it was basically like you 
don't mess up or blah, 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 blah. Um, and I came out of that day pretty like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to go to one of them. But now yeah. having done tons of track days, it's, I think your point about the speed of your car is huge. Um, yeah. For me, generally, if I'm in a track day now, I'm in something quite quick. Um, yeah. And often it's just I'm in my radical. So for me, I will only do a test day or I'll possibly do an RMA day. But I won't do anything else in a radical because your speed differential is too quick and you just can't, yeah. you can't do a lap. Yeah, you, even, can't, you, you can't do a lap. Uh, nobody, everybody else hates you. Um, yes, properly you're hates always, you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and you're actually right. And it's, and it's just horse of courses, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. the moment you start bringing, you know, slicks and wings and downforce to a track day environment, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a different sort of animal, isn't it? Um, and you need to be out there with people who are going at hopefully not dissimilar speeds, um and who also understand all of that so you know experience track day goes um yeah i think it's something that's very easy to forget that if someone's on their first track day you going around them around the outside at i don't know abbey at 125 miles an hour like six inches from their car is going to freak them out massively yeah <laughs> whereas massively. whereas if if they've done loads of racing and whatever, that might not. But it's you. It's I think lots of people forget. Yeah, I I did a um, probably the last other than I own the last track day I did was at, <coughs> excuse me at Donington, um, and I was basically just doing a customer road, Bell Sport and Classic asked me to go and give some customer rides in there. They've got a four eight eight challenge car, um, mm. so you know the slowest Ferrari racing car that there is. Um, and yeah, it was like an obstacle course. And I don't think people kind of understand that when you get in something that is actually a racing car and that is designed to race, um, just how much faster it is than any other road car. Um, and you know, I had to be very, I had to drive very yeah. defensively in that. Um, because what you cannot do is assume that the person that you are, you know, who you are closing on a speed of, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour relative to them um you know gets what you are gets what your car can do and will just you know do what you require them to do to keep you both safe and i think and you know as the car you're the car behind approaching you know the onus is on you isn't it um and so if anyone's going to back out um yeah there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And make sure that it's that it's safe. 
um, then it's going to be you. And you know, doing what you're doing, if you're just giving you know customer rides, it, it, it doesn't matter. You're not trying to set the lap time. Who cares? It's all it's all part of the fun. But um, yeah, it's you know you, you you have to know those track days, don't you? Um, you know who's out there, or, or or else you simply cannot make any kind of assumptions at all because that's when it goes wrong isn't it you know you could be you know also you know somebody could be doing yeah. their first ever track day and they could but they could be in a really good fast car they could be in a gt3 rs um and so you still see a gt3 rs mm. there and think oh you know he, yeah. he knows what he's going to what he's doing well maybe he doesn't maybe it's his first track day maybe he's the mate of the owner of the gt3 rs and he's never done anything like it before in his life you just can't you know so if in doubt you have to back out of it don't you yeah and your point about knowing the different speeds of cars, like it takes a while before you know, oh, there is a 488 challenge, but it's at the other end of the start-finish straight and I'm, <laughs> I'm two-thirds down. But yeah. the reality is I've got 67 horsepower or something in a Citroen maybe, <laughs> and, and it might get to me before I turn in. Yeah. Yes. Whereas you just go like, oh, that car's miles behind. Yes, and and, it, and it's not just its ability to gain speed. It's you know it's it's brakes and it's it's cornering speed, isn't it? And you know, I just you know, but I you, you can never expect someone to be looking in the mirrors, can you? You know, it's kind of nice when they do, and you hope that they will, <laughs> no. but you can't you can't expect it because you know that's when really really big accidents happen. And you know, and if I ever I may regret saying this, but I have, if I ever tangled with someone on a track day and I'm the bloke behind, uh, I think I would struggle to say it was my it, it, it was their fault. Uh, unless they did something absolutely ridiculous, like just nerfed me. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's not. And and I remember very early days having uh, instruction from someone, and they were getting annoyed. And this, I was quite apprehensive on the track of other cars, and they were getting really annoyed because they were like, "Don't look in your mirrors. Like, stop looking in your mirrors. Stop freaking out about stuff that's behind you. It's not your problem." And that's. Yeah. Not many people will probably say that to people, but a lot of it's like... It's absolutely true. Press, it's it, so I mean, true. So the first race I ever did on the Nürburgring, um, God knows when, 20 years ago, uh, maybe more, I was in a Clio Cup car, you know, little two-litre, 200-horsepower thing. Yeah. And it was a six-hour VLN race, and at the other end of the field, there were Vipers and V8 BMW M3 GTRs um, with mm. people like Hans Stuck driving them. Um, and I was doing exactly that. I was, I was the, I was the rabbit. I was good. I was, I was driving <laughs> along like this, um, because, you know, the, even on a circuit as big as the Nordschleife, you know, after a bit, they start coming around and you've got, I don't know what, 180 cars in the race. And these guys, they hunt in packs. And, and, and also the other problem, particular problem with the Nürburgring is because there's only one straight, the rest of the time the track's doing this, you can't see them coming. British airfield circuits. You can always look in the mirror. You can always look down the track and you can see where they are. And the Nürburgring, you'll just be, you know, on the wrong side of a brow of a hill and suddenly there'll be eight of the bastards. And all (laughs) you'll see is just this wall of light. And they're going round you, round you, over you, under any way at all. Um, And I just got really, really terrified. And I started trying to get out of these people's way. And eventually I just thought to myself, this is insane. Um, Because, you know, I was going to go and have, I mean, one of the things that I was doing was, um, I was basically trying to drive off the circuit to get out of their way. And then you're on the marbles and you've got all the rubber on your tire and, and you're just making, you know, a difficult job, even more difficult. And in the end, I did exactly that. I just knocked the mirror and I just pretended yeah. that they weren't there. Um, and it was fine after that. I just stuck on the racing line. I did, I, 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 I did what I was doing um, and made it their problem. And they all got past. Um, yeah. Nobody waved their fist at me. That's actually what they're expecting you to do. And it's only when you start 
to do different stuff that actually, you know, it's like the road to hell, isn't it? Being paved with good intention. You're going to have the accident trying to help someone. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to move out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when Richard Hammond did had that crash in the Silverstone 24-hour race years and years ago, which they, which they filmed, and he was in that diesel-powered BMW? And he took out um, – there were there, he tried to get out of someone's way and didn't see the car behind the car he was trying to get out of the way of. So okay. he went one way, just as the car behind, which was the lead of the race, went popped out from behind this thing he was trying to get out and literally went into the space to sell the car needed to get past, and then bang, and, and that was that, and he took out the leader of the race. And – that's such an understandable rookie error, isn't it? Because you're just yeah. trying to help. You're just saying, oh, yes, I'm going to, you know, I've seen, I've, I've seen this much faster car coming, so I'm going to let him go and I'm just going to get out of bang. So don't do that. Just keep going. Do what you're going to do and let him get on with it. And then as the, as the, if you're the driver behind and on a track day, let's say, you come across the same cars all the time. So you become aware yeah. and you start to do things like, you know that that one car spooks the entire time, as in they're, they're yes. trying to be helpful. So you yeah. start, you then drive very differently around them, as in yeah. you basically say, I'm here, I'm coming through. Yes. I'm not going to try and go around you. I'm not going to try and like leave you space in the right place. I'm just going to get in your way and you're going to move out the way because anything else I, I can't predict. Well, exactly. That's what you have to do, isn't it? Um, it's, it's different when you're doing long distance racing because, you know, you can come up across the same car which behaved in a particular way the last time you saw it. And you can come across it again 10 minutes later and it's behaving in a completely different way because unbeknownst to you, sometimes it's it's got a different person behind the wheel. So that's a whole new, so, you know, with, with, with the sort of long distance racing I I tend to do, um, you can't just can't make any assumptions about anything. Um, it's really difficult, but it's all part of the fun. Yeah. Drive what you see. So you got to drive, uh, an XJR nine group C car at this track. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Yeah. Oh, um, It was, it had been an XJR9. Uh, it, it, so it was a car that started life with XJR8 and became an XJR9. And I think it's now back as an XJR8. Um, what can I say? Group C Jaguar. Um, yeah. You know, my first ever Le Mans was uh, in 88 when, you know, that car, that actual car was in that race. It didn't finish it. But, um, and to think that, that one day would come when you'd be in that car hooning around. This was the actual car that, so obviously Jaguar won Le Mans in 88 with the, the XJR9. <laughs> In 87, it had won the World Sports Car Championship, the first time Jaguar had ever won a World Sports Car Championship. So even all those Le Mans that won in the 1950s had never won the championship. Um, in 87, they won the championship. And it was that actual car that won the championship for Raoul Bozel that I was driving around Thruxton that day. I mean, what a privilege. So firstly, you're sitting there thinking, I can't quite believe nice. I'm in this. Um, it's quite cosy in there uh, if you're six foot three like I am. So I'm a bit sort of like this um, behind the wheel. Um, and... If I'm honest with you, it's not a particularly easy car to drive. Um, and I don't mean that by, you know, road car stands. I mean that by sort of Group C car. And if you think of a Porsche 962 as the sort of the archetypal Group C car, um, Porsche designed their cars mm-hmm. because they had a customer program. They needed to sell these cars to lots and lots of people, whereas Jaguar didn't. Um, they deliberately made them easy to drive so that gentlemen drivers could get in them and drive them at night in the rain at Le Mans, having already had hours now, and the car would always look after them. Um, and so they had proper ventilation. They had synchromesh gearboxes. You could see out of them. Visibility was quite good. Um, they handled very predictably. Um, they were... That was the secret of those cars' success. Um, Jaguar didn't have, need any of that because they were only ever going to be driven by professional racing drivers. Um, so they just made them as fast as they possibly could. Um, and they had this massive 7-litre V12 um, 
block of metal behind you. Um, and you really don't want that moving around, um, you know, particularly with a Group C car where you've got a full um, ground effect bodywork, you know, massive amounts of downforce, fast slicks. It's not a sort of, it's not like a Mark II Escort. It's not the sort of thing you want to be sliding around. Um, and, you know, and, and you can upset it very easily. You can upset it um, particularly under braking into tight corners. Um, and you can upset it if you just get a bit too um, ambitious with the throttle on the way out. And so you just have to drive within itself, drive within yourself. And, and the faster you go, the better it gets. So it doesn't really like, it's got, you know, these, these cars always had, I mean, some of them didn't even, they had like what they call spool differentials, which aren't even differential at all, really. And so in very slow corners, they push and they push and they push. Um, but, and they've also got massive spring rates on them because they, they generate so much downforce. You need that spring rate just to support the body, just to maintain the ride height. And so you need, yeah fast stuff and that's the one thing that the fraction does is it's not short of fast corners um and so once you get it once you get the tires hot and once you get it singing um you get into that really scary bit where you kind of think i'm not sure there's a speed you you, you think this car will go around any corner at any speed you can just think to yourself you know I mean, the owner, I don't know about anybody <laughs> listening to this, they know Thruxton. I mean, Church is probably the most scary corner in, in motor racing. Um, and, the, and the owner, when he got into the car, he hadn't driven it for years, um, and he's flat in fifth through Church. And, and I'm just thinking... Um, and when I was driving, I wasn't flat in fifth, but I was still, you know, I was still pulling... 6-2 in top before breaking for the chicane, which even with sprint gearing is, I mean, I'll think about how fast that was. But the faster you go, the easier it gets. The more precise, the more grounded, the more stable, because then, you know, with the wings really, really working. And so you get into this slightly scary state of mm. mind where you just think, I can just go faster and faster and faster, because the faster you go, the easier it becomes. And clearly, they get, you get to a stage where that actually reverses quite quickly. Um, I, I never got there. Um but oh, I just loved it. And then the noise of the thing and the <laughs> privilege and just knowing what you're sitting in. Um, but it does, it does make you real. I mean, the closing speeds on road cars are absolutely shocking. Um, it's, I'm just trying to think of an analogy. It'd be like, it'd be like going out in a GT3 RS against, you know, a field of two CVs. It's, it's, it's not that different. Um, the, the performance game. Um, and if you think, if you think about the numbers, <laughs> You know, you're talking about a car which weighs, you know, 900 kilos with, you know, 750 horsepower, um, you know, full ground effect bodywork, um, massive slicks. It, you know, it's not really surprising um, that, you know, you have that level of performance differential. But I mean, but but when you're in it, um, when you first get in, it, you think, oh, how the hell can I ever drive this sort of thing? But if you drive it for enough, um, you do sort of get used to it a bit. Um and it's never anything other than shockingly fast, but it stops being scary. You stop, you know, you, you stop putting your foot down and just immediately lifting again because it's just, it's just too much. That stops and you do start to enjoy <laughs> it and you can start to um, really, you know, appreciate what you're in. Um, but obviously within the confines of, you know, taking no risks, just taking no risks at all with it, not doing anything remotely silly because... I mean, can you imagine if I'd bent it or broken it or, or done anything? I mean, the intercooler's first ever track day, that's all I'd remember from it yeah. was, you know, damaging this, you know, priceless you know, historical <laughs> artifact and, and and you can't do it. Um, so, you know, it, I was I was just very lucky to get in it. Um, yeah, I hope to again one day. Very, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> what a thing. What a thing. So 
what else have you been? Ah, you bought a caterum since we last spoke. I did. Yeah, I did buy a caterum. Um, I just haven't owned a caterum for near. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of one of these guys who just sort of thinks that if you don't have a caterum in your life, there's something missing. Um, and I haven't had one in my life for <laughs> 15 years or so. And I, I think it, I'll tell you what it was. I'll tell you what it was. Caterum came out with this thing called the Super 7 recently. Um, which is basically it was a sort of slightly retro thing and it was a 1.6 mm. litre. Um, um, but it had this sort of, you know, the retro styling and they put it on generally throttle bodies so it sounded like it had carburettors. And I drove this thing and I just loved it. And I just thought, um, I can't believe I haven't got one of these things because I've had, I've owned lots over the time and I've raced them and I've built them and I've crashed one and I've done most things that you can do with a caterer. Um And I just hadn't owned one for a long time. And then I was... What was I doing? I was, when I was very young, so even before I was a motoring journalist, uh, and this was the one that I crashed, um, I had a super sprint from about 1985, which was just a really simple live axle cross flow car. Uh, and because I was an idiot and didn't know how to drive, I bent it on my first ever track day at Goodwood and um, couldn't afford to to repair it. So that was the end of that. But I, I, but I absolutely loved that car. And I just thought, <laughs> you know, I don't want a car for doing track days because I, you know, I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of time on race tracks anyway, but I just want a, I want a fun pub car. And I've got my really slow stuff. I've got my 2CV and my Fiat, old Fiat 500 and that sort of stuff. But I just, I just really, you know, you know, you know, it's like you get that, you get that itch and you just, and it doesn't go away. So I was talking to Andy Noble, who used to be the sales manager of Caterham um, and now runs a company called Sevens and Classics down at Brands Hatch. And I've known Andy for, well, as long as I've been doing this job. Uh, and I knew that he'd look after me. And I went, you know, what do you got? And he said, oh, it's just an interesting car. It's just come in. It's been in France, but it's had its engine rebuilt. And it's and it was a perfect car. I didn't even know this car existed because it's basically, in terms of its chassis, it's a modern caterer. So it's got what they call the S3 chassis. So it's got uh, the Dion rear end. Um, and it's got a five-speed box, but it's got the old cross-flow engine in it. Um, so it's a 1700 Super Sprint, just like the thing that I crashed 35 years ago. Um 1700 135 horsepower makes it you know twin webbers hung off the side bit of you know old ford iron um and i went and drove it fell in love with it and I, it's, it's just it's just a joyous thing i mean there's you know I'm, I'm so lucky to drive all these sorts of things but frankly whatever i'm driving i'm always sitting there thinking frankly i'd, I'd rather be in the caterer <laughs> and I've, I've rediscovered um you know all through my life i'm forever getting up at strange strange times in the morning to go and drive stuff because you know that's what you have to do and particularly if you've got fast cars um you need to drive them on quiet roads and you know even where i live down in the welsh uh, borders the roads are only truly quiet when every when everyone's asleep so i'm very good at getting up and driving cars for work purposes what the catering has made me do is i just get up and you know one of the fav- one of my favorite things that i do is i'm about um an hour and a half from penny fan which is the highest mountain in south wales um and i will get up in the middle of the night when it's pitch dark but i will time my arrival at penny fan um for when it's got light so so you climb the mountain so i get in the cater and i howl over there in the darkness park up up and down the mountain come back in and and i'm home before most people are out of bed and have their breakfast and and so you've had three hours of proper wheel time um on amazing roads Uh, you've climbed a mountain so you've done your, your exercise for the day as well and and you really haven't done it for any other reason than that you can. Um, I tend to be on my own. I tend to prefer it that way because people tend to object to the way I drive that car when when um, when they're in the passenger seat. And I just, 
I just love it. It's so simple um, and it's so honest. And I even like driving it with the roof up. Um, there's a sort of coziness that you get in that cockpit when you're just sort of snug in there and you're completely contained. And mm. um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and it's the car that proves, again, the difference between fast and fun. It doesn't mean that fast cars aren't fun. It, what it does mean is that slow cars can be fun too. It's 135 horsepower. I mean, by modern standards, it's... I don't know what it do. I think it would. It might just get under six seconds to sixty. I mean, who cares? It's you know, it's sort of you know, focus ST sort of performance. Yeah. But it, it it's so light and it's so immediate, and it just reminds me of all the reasons that I love driving cars, um, and all the reasons that I find you know modern cars, which forever larger, forever heavier, so disappointing. Um, and it's kind of it's one. Of, I I bought it as a bit of an experiment because. I didn't sort of know. I love the idea, but I didn't know what the reality would be like. And now I've got it. I can't see that I'd, I'd, I'd ever get rid of it. I think there will always be, you know, until I'm just too old to do it. I think there will always be a catering in my life because to me, a catering is driving. Yeah. I, I it's, it's funny because I think just before you'd been on the podcast last, you'd just driven the Super 7. Um, oh, there you go. And yeah, it's, you say, you say not fast. Like that is, that's not fast versus oh God, electric cars or whatever now. Um, but it's still, that's still quick. And, it, and as you said, it weighs nothing. nothing. And that's the most important part of it, isn't it? It weighs nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And unless you've driven a car that weighs, I think my car is genuinely under 500 kilos. Um, well, at least until you put me in it. But um, until you've driven something like that, I don't think, you know, you must listen to people like you and me banging on about, oh, how lightweight is so important. And you must thought, well, is it really? You go and drive something like that and you feel how reactive it is, um, but how within its own space it is, because there's never much momentum and how easy they are to slide around because you don't have much mass to to manage um, and just how alive they feel. And when you get back into your sort of modern heavy SUV, or whatever, it just how everything feels like you're driving with oven gloves on doesn't it it's just everything is so remote and distant and dull and um yeah i mean you know borrow one rent one do whatever but just just have that experience because until you do um drive a car that is properly light and by properly light i mean half a ton not sort of you know because these days i think people think that you know what 1200 kilos is really really light <laughs> um, which it is for a modern supercar. I mean, there aren't any modern supercars which weigh that, and you know, apart from you know Gordon Murray's thing or whatever. You know, um, you know, if you get a, what does a GT3 RS weigh? Fourteen, fifteen hundred kilos, something. Fifteen hundred kilos, something. Yeah, yeah maybe. So th- yeah, maybe okay, 14, and everybody thinks that's a really light car. Well, try something that is one third <laughs> of that weight. Yeah, and it just feels totally different, and it's a totally different. And no disrespect to GT3 RSs, all they're, all they're like, because everybody knows what fans of those I am, but. A truly light car is a different experience. It's almost like you haven't driven until you've driven one of those. So, yeah, if you can, uh, anyhow, any way, get yourself into it just to have that experience and see what it is that we're banging on about. Um, it may it may change your view of stuff. It does, and it, it's 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 a it's an amazing reset before going back to if you drive, you know, you get to drive or trying out modern fast ish stuff, and then you drive something that's five hundred kilos. You're like, oh, okay, hang on. We, we're, what are we chasing here? Like, yeah. what is going on? This but, is not but, but, fun. But your your radical's the same, isn't it? Yeah, that's five. I I think it's it's sub six hundred with me in it. 
Yeah. With you in it. Okay. So that's like my catering. Yeah. And um, there's nothing else like it, is there? In terms of the, in, in terms no. of the feel. Yeah. No. And, but I think the, that on a racetrack just feels like solid and cause it's got aero and whatever. So it's, it's, there's nothing like that driving that on a racetrack, but driving a caterham on a small road, yeah, you just can't, there's n- literally nothing replicates that feeling remotely. I, I, you put me in a caterham and I think I'm some sort of WRC driver. I don't know why. Um, but in a because normal, it lets you do that, doesn't it? In a normal car, like a, an M2 or something, no way, yeah. no way. I'm just no. cruising around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that is the joy of those cars, and that is, I think, well, it clearly is why that car has been in production in one form or another for, I mean, well over sixty years now, well over sixty years. Um, you know, and it's you know conceptually, it's exactly the same car now as it was then. Um, yeah, and you know, Colin Chapman just got it so right, and I'm sure that while you know, there are fuel remains that cars like that will be. What do you think of the idea of an electric catering? Um, oh, I'm, I'm not averse to the idea. If it can still, if it, if it can be light, I think yeah. it might be interesting. Whether it's going to be truly as engaging and whatnot, I think you're going to have one gear and changing gear is such a huge part of driving enjoyment on, on a road. Like drive a car with PDK versus a manual gearbox, GT3, for example. One is significantly more engaging than the other. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's engagement. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but it's about having stuff to do. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, And changing gear is a thing to do. It's something for your left hand to do, something for your left leg to do. And it's something which requires thought. and, and, And that is what gets you involved in the process. And if you remove that... Um, then you have to remove something of that. And in the car, whose very reason for existence is to provide that involvement. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I look for, I approach it with an open mind. I look forward to it, um, to driving it. I think one thing which does stand in its, in, 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 which is lucky, is that people don't expect caterers to have huge ranges, so they won't need to put a big battery on it. You know, pe- pe- people won't want no. to go and, you know, caterers will do 300 miles on a charge. Um, so I think they will still be able to keep it quite light. Whether they're able to make it anything like as involving as something which makes that noise and which requires you to manage it so much. Um, because, you know, what they mustn't do is just is produce a point and squirt machine. But it's very difficult to know what else they can do. Because you yeah. can't, well, you can put a gearbox in it, but why? Uh, it would just be completely artificial. It would add weight and it would, it would serve no great purpose. Yeah, we'll see. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it, and it's not just changing gear, whatever. It's like feeling the vibrations of the engine come through the yeah. car. And like, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. It's, it's, for, it's feeling part of the machine, isn't it? For that purest experience, I I just don't know what we'll see. We'll see what happens, but I don't know. You'll get you'll end up with some crazy powerful small stuff, but that's not it's yeah. not what we're after, is it? That's literally what we've not just really. not been talking about. The opposite of that, but a caterham's yeah. not very in is is quite efficient, and yeah, I mean, maybe what we'll get alternative me- fuels is that, you know, I can see an electric Ferrari working because, as you and I know, the vast majority of people who buy Ferraris don't buy them for what they like to drive. They don't buy yes. them because they have amazing handling. Um, we, we, and we know that. Um, and so people will still buy Ferraris because they'll still want to be seen at Ferraris. 
people only buy caterums to drive them, don't they? You know, nobody ever bought a caterum as a yeah. fashion accessory. I mean, you know, my children think I look like an idiot in a caterum, and and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I probably do. I, it just doesn't concern me. Um, yeah. But you know, there's no other reason. So if you take away the reason that people bought those cars in the first place because they were so involving to drive, does it not therefore follow that they're going to stop buying them? That's my real worry. Um, and I just, I just, what I really hope is that there is some kind of exemption comes up whereby cars like that, um, so long as they run synthetic fuel, will be granted a stay of execution. Uh, and we'll all have to get a bit smart about how we use them and how we get the fuel. And hopefully it's not too expensive or whatever. But um because other than that, I mean, I, I really do struggle to see how an electric caterer could provide that level of driver involvement that, you know, we just take completely for granted. I mean, I was driving one, um, the new, what do they call it, the, the new 170S, 170R, um, the three-cylinder Suzuki engine thing, um, the cheapest catering you can buy. Um, yeah. I wasn't completely knocked out by it, to be honest with you, but it was still basically better than almost anything else um, that remotely that kind of money could buy. Um, and if you take that away... <laughs> Um, you know, what's left? I don't know. I, I I worry about it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. The ones that exist now will always exist. Whether you can fill them up, who knows? But um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. And and as soon as you start going electric, there will be a way. Synthetic fuels will come along, and uh, as I said, we'll have to get smart. But you know, you people thought that um, when horses no longer provided transport, that um, people wouldn't ride horses anymore. They didn't. They just found different ways of enjoying their recreation that they and they've been doing it ever since. And it will be the same. You know, the business is too big um, to ignore, um, and there are too many viable solutions for it just to yeah. to die. I mean, it's going to change. It's going to evolve. But I mean, I certainly don't think that in our lifetimes um, we are going to no longer that a time will come where it is not possible to drive a car with an internal combustion engine on a public road. Yeah. Who knows? But we'll see. I think absolutely the other fuels will come in, and we'll have because they're going they're going to need that for longer range stuff. And if you if you can get two hundred miles on a tank or something, and you start at home and you do a two hundred mile loop, that's quite fun. That can be quite fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm conscious that we're we're a little tight on time, so um, I normally do five questions, but since you've been on the podcast before, you've probably done most of them. So I'll cherry pick a couple and. Go on. Uh, what do you think is the best value car under 50k at the moment? And that can be new or used. <sighs> best value car under 50k. Something like a GT86 Toyota. I just think that mm. if you pick up one of those that's um, a few years old, you'll pay buttons for it. And there's and there's not very much out there that's... Um, you can use it as a daily driver, which is my, I mean, they're such underrated cars. I absolutely love them. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that as, as a value proposition, I often think about what I'd go and drive, um, just going to smoke about and if I ever stop driving cars for a living. And, and that's always sort of somewhere on the list. Um, so, yeah, something like that, I would think. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to drive the new one when when yes, those so are around. Because um, that yeah, I don't think it's going to be um, until next year. Um, I think there is there is an event um, which I can't attend um, where yeah sometime soon, but I don't think they're actually going to get they're going to get into the UK until twenty two. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, most interesting car to you at the moment? 
most interesting car to me at the moment. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm just trying to think. Well, I mean, I, I, the sort of the slightly sort of flip answer is something like the Ferrari SF90 because I still don't understand who it's for. Um, so that interests <laughs> me a lot. Um, but what's a, what, what's a better answer to that question? Um, 911 GT3 interests me because it's such a different car. Um, yeah. 911 GTS, that's an interesting car. I, because Porsche having, you know, previous GTSs until now have been basically parts bin specials where, yeah. you know, it's just a, a run out special where um, they take some stuff from the options list and they stick it in a car, they make it a bit more affordable and they, you know, they give it center lock wheels and they smoke out the glass and they create GTS. The new 992 911 GTS is where almost where the old gt3 touring was um and so it's got a lot of um quite trick bits on it turbo suspension turbo brakes it's not you know you cannot spec a gts on, on an s anymore mm. or, or anything close to it um you know there are lightweight option packs you can get on it and and, and having driven it um you know and having driven a manual rear drive uh, car with the lightweight pack i mean it's unbelievably dynamic um and it's it's as close to being a replacement for the pre for the nine nine one generation two GT three touring um, as I've driven because as we know the new GT three has got much more hardcore, it's got much stiffer suspension, uh, it's a much more aggressive road car and much less of a daily driver. Um, and I always wondered what Porsche was mm. going to stick in that space, um, and now I think we know. So I think a um, a manual rear drive. GTS Coupe with a few nice options on it is a very enticing thing. Now, okay, but would you? Obviously, the powertrain's different, whatever between those those cars. But would you order a GTS, or would you order something different on that range? That's sort of assuming you can't buy a GT3. No, actually, you can order any of those cars. Which one would you actually like to drive? For what purpose? Um, I mean, that's you're the thing, using. It? Okay, I wouldn't have a 992 GT3 as a daily driver. Um, whereas, you know, I know a couple of people um, who have 991 Gen 2 GT3 Tourings, um, manual cars, I'd absolutely have them as daily drivers because mm. they have, they ride well enough, they're quiet enough, you can, they can do all that stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas to me, a GT3 now, rightly or wrongly i mean it's it's an extraordinary thing but it is much more of a recreational thing now it's a it's a thing that you go and drive when you have a reason to go and drive it um yeah. it's not the thing that you drive because it's monday morning you've got to, and you've got to go to work so i think i think as a daily car i'd have a gts which is I, I never thought that i'd say that but um it's such a good car um and i know it hasn't got that engine in it <coughs> but it, it finds that balance. It handles well enough um, to satisfy 95% of what I want a car to do in that regard. Whereas at the same time, and I probably said this on the last podcast I was on, um, I have this thing that the amount of fun a car can provide is how enjoyable it is to drive multiplied by the number of times you feel inclined to go and drive it. You know, at one end of that, you've got something like an aerial atom, which is 
pretty much as fun as you can have with a steering wheel in your hand. But if it's raining or cold or anything, it's just going to stay in the seat. So you're not yeah. going to drive it very often. Um, at the other end of it, you've got, you know, a, an electric crossover SUV, which is the dullest thing in the world. Um, but you drive it every day. Um, and so the car I'm looking for is the car that you want to drive. It's one of the reasons actually I like catering so much because I think what people don't understand about catering is that once you've got the roof up and you've got the heater on and you've got the screen heater on it, actually, you can do huge distances in them. You can even, they've even got a bit of stuff in the back to put stuff, to, to put a little bit of luggage in. And I, I just love that facility that you don't think, oh God, well, it's October, so I'm going to have to park the car now because it's going to be too wet or it's going to be too cold to drive it. You know, these are cars you can use year round. And I think with the GTS in a completely different place and at a completely diff- different level, it's the same sort of thing. It does have that. There isn't a reason you can't use this car. And every time you get in it, it will make you feel happy and special about being in it. Um, whereas a GT3, um, you know, wonderful on the right roads, wonderful on the right track and not at all bad getting there and back. But, you know, I, it's just not the sort of thing that I would see myself, you know, if I had a collection of cars and if you have a GT3, you've got lots of other stuff, too. Um, and on a wet Monday morning with, you know, a commute, slow commute into London to drive, yeah. you know, you're just going to get in something else, aren't you? Whereas if the GTS was out there, you'd probably take that. And that's the difference. And because I drove uh, my first 992 recently, um, I drove a Targa 4 Heritage Edition, whatever, that one. Yeah. And that, I came out of driving that and I thought, you know what? A 2S, for me, I think might be the the perfect blend because more usable but also like less grip less hardcore than, much lighter and, and and lighter than a target for sure yeah um, and then i i thought do i want any more performance not necessarily do i want it to be no. any more grippy not really do i want it to be no. more locked down not really so i'm sure at some point i'll drive a gts i'm driving a, a gt3 this week um someone's letting me drive theirs so i'm very interested to see what that's like but yeah, it's kind of like how you, the, the thing with the Porsche range is there's so many options now. There's so yeah. many options. And we're starting to see the Cayman develop. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out. So we'll have had loads of stuff out like GT4 RS and then possibly things after that, which sounds yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Final question. Because I know you've, go you've got to go. Five car garage. Mark II, as it's going to be. Okay. You presumably asked me this question a year ago, so I'm now going to come yes. up with a completely different five cars. Um, so, um, I've, okay, so I've got my GTS as my daily driver. Yeah. Um, I need to have my racing car in there. Um, so I presume I don't have a budget for this. I can have whatever I no. like, yeah? No budget. Okay. Okay, so um, my racing car, I've obviously got my uh, ex-Jo Bonnier Lola T70 Mark III um, because that's that's of everything that I've ever driven. That's what I would most um, like to race. Um, so I've got my daily driver. I've got my racing car. Um, I'd have my catering. I, I might even have the actual catering that I've got um, because... It just nice. it just really works for me, so that's my sort of everyday knockabout thing. I'd want something really old um, because I love really old stuff. Um, so because I've got a bit of a family history of Bentleys, I'd probably mm. have my dad's four and a half liter Bentley. Um, and oh, I need something. Cool. To, do I need I need something to tow the race car? Don't I? Probably. Yeah. I'll have a, yeah. So I'll have what will I have? I'll either have a really old Toyota Amazon or I'll have a brand new Range Rover to do that. 
There you go. So, so cool. we'll call it the Range Rover, um, the Caterham, the Bentley, the Lola, and the Porsche. Good garage. There you go. It'll there do. you go. Happy yeah. days. I'll get you by. <laughs> right. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Not at all. Great pleasure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.